Hi, listener. Molly here. As a subscriber to the KZMU News podcast, I know that you know we are experimenting with our program schedule just a bit. We're going to try something a little different for the newscast on Mondays. Sometimes we'll air an evergreen feature from our archives, like our audio portraits. Other times we'll feature a program called the Regional Roundup. It's brand new. It's a bi-weekly production of the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition, which KZMU is proudly part of. In it, the coalition's editor, Maeve Conran, takes us behind the regional news. So we'll start off with our experimental Mondays with that program. Thanks, as always, for tuning in and supporting KZMU, this small but mighty station. I'll let Maeve take it from here. Welcome to the Regional Roundup, a production of the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah and New Mexico, including this one. I'm Maeve Conran, the Coalition's Managing Editor, and today we'll hear about a series of laws in Republican-controlled legislatures like Wyoming and Utah that target transgender youth. I don't want to have to leave the state or or have to stop gender-affirming care or anything like that. That's not that's not what I want. Then we hear the voices of young people speaking out against gun violence and living under the threat of school shootings. It's not really the safest feeling to go to school anymore. I don't think it's fair. And then we'll round out today's show by hearing sounds from nature. With spring on the horizon, we'll hear a mallard doing a courting dance, songbirds and other signs of spring. They're mating. (laughs) From the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition, it's the Regional Roundup. Multiple Republican-controlled state legislatures all around the country are considering, and in some cases passing, legislation that directly impacts transgender people, especially trans youth. In January, transgender advocate Sue Robbins, who serves on Equality Utah's Transgender Advisory Council, spoke on KRCL in Salt Lake City about some of the legislation being introduced in that state. So here in Utah, what we are seeing right now, uh, first in October in the interim session, which is uh, basically the entire session when they're not voting to pass bills, they kind of work through legislation, try it out on their peers, bring them before committees so they could see which way they might head and how they might modify them. And in the October interim Health and Human Services Committee, uh, Senator Kenny brought forth SB 16 is what it is numbered is as now. And what it is trying to do is to regulate or ban, I should say, that regulate to where it doesn't exist, uh, surgeries for transgender youth that are considered uh, transgender affirming surgeries. So he separated the two parts. Uh, he calls them primary sexual characteristic surgeries and secondary characteristic surgeries. And when I align that with the medical documentation around the transgender community, we could call them general surgeries for the primary sexual characteristics and gender affirming for the secondary uh, sexual characteristics. Now, the interesting part with first time I've had this happen in one of the healthcare bills that we've worked on 
is Senator Kennedy recognized that the World Professional Association of Transgender Health Standards of Care document is the care document that should be used for the transgender community. Additionally, he noted that it was supported by the Endocrine Society, which is a national major medical organization. Their focus is on, you know, obviously the endocrine system, so hormones and those types of things. So that goes right in line with some of the things I've been saying all along is that those standards of care are science-based and evidence proven and backed up by major medical organizations. So I have a list of support letters from almost 30 organizations that support these documents that include the Endocrine Society, along with the American Medical Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and so on. So that's Senator Kennedy bringing SB 16, which is just targeting surgeries on our youth, so those under the age of 18. That was Sue Robbins, who serves on Equality Utah's Transgender Advisory Council, speaking there with Lara Jones on KRCL in Salt Lake City in January. Senate Bill 16 that was discussed there was in fact signed into law by Utah Governor Spencer Cox in late January. While another Rocky Mountain state has been considering multiple bills targeting transgender youth, I spoke with reporter Hannah Mersbach of KHOL in Jackson about what's been happening in Wyoming. At this point, um, only one of the bills has made it forward. We started with with a whole handful of bills targeting transgender youth. Um, The one that is making it forward uh, bans trans girls from participating on female sports teams in schools. That is seventh grade and up. So that bill was passed by both houses in the legislature and now is making it to the governor to sign. The other bills that didn't make it forward, um, there were a couple trying to criminalize providing gender affirming care for youth. Um, those didn't make it end up making it out of committee. And there was another, uh, it was actually kind of a copy of Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill. That one, it would have restrict conversations on gender identity and sexual orientation in the classroom. And that also failed to uh, make it forward this session. Give us a sense of the conversation that's happening in Wyoming, what reaction did those bills receive? Who's upset by this? Who is supporting this? What was the general conversation when this was being discussed at the state legislature? Well, so I'm based in Teton County in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and we're kind of a blueberry and a really red state. Um, so the kinds of reactions I was covering here were quite different than what was being heard in other places in the state. Uh, the community here really rallied against this kind of legislation. Um, we had youth leading a rally. We had the local pride organization sending tons of postcards to lawmakers. And they really were arguing that these bills would just make um, trans kids feel unsafe, unwelcome in the community here. Um, A lot of people were going over to our capital, Cheyenne, to rally against these bills, and they were pretty happy that um, at least most of them failed. Um, I think at the beginning of this that, you know, a lot of pretty conservative legislation, we have like a Republican supermajority in the state legislature. So a lot of this stuff just flies on through with little debate. So I think they were really happy that I think they were surprised that they were actually uh, able to defeat these bills. 
You know, as for the other side, a lot of this legislation is pretty much copy and pasted from other conservative states that have passed this kinds of legislation. And I think these kinds of bills, you know, that criminalize gender affirming care or are trying to get trans kids off sports teams, you know, they're part of the Republican Party across across the country. So I think Wyoming lawmakers were really taking the lead from that. And, you know, a lot of this, they were saying they want to protect parental rights in the classroom. They don't want inappropriate subjects talked about. As far as the bill that might make its way forward, the one where trans girls couldn't participate on sports teams with the gender of their choosing, um, you know, they think that these trans kids could have an unfair advantage on the sports teams and are trying to protect the other kids. That's largely where they're coming from. Well, what's often lost in the mix when these bills are being discussed are the folks who are actually really directly impacted by this. And you have been out there speaking to some of these young people. As you mentioned there, there was a rally in Teton County organised by young folks. And and I want to talk particularly about a young transgender girl that you've been talking to and her mom as well. Skye, who's 12, is, you know, really upset about some of these laws. Tell us about Skye and what Skye said at the rally. And then we'll also hear what Skye's mom has just said in reaction to the latest update about the sports bill. Yeah, right. So I met Skye. She was one of the youth organizers of this rally that took place last month to oppose these bills. You know, she, her her family was considering having to leave the state because of these bills, because Sky wouldn't be able to get the kind of gender affirming care um, that she needed. They were going to move to Boulder, Colorado. Um, They don't think they're going to have to do that anymore. But here's what I heard from Sky at the rally. I don't want to have to leave the state or or have to stop gender affirming care or anything like that. That's not that's not what I want. I want I want to be able to stay here. I want everyone who's part of the LGBTQIA plus community to feel supported in this community. I mean, I think what Sky was saying there about not wanting to have to leave the state, that has been a reality for many families in conservative states. And what's interesting is They're talking about potentially, it doesn't look like it's going to happen now, having to move to a state that borders Wyoming. So you've got a state like Colorado and a community like Boulder that couldn't be more at odds with what's happening at a state level in Wyoming. And so what we're seeing is this patchwork quilt really around the country where states are coming up with these different laws and it's really leaving families in precarious positions of potentially having having to leave their family talk a little bit about what you've heard from sky's mom because i know you spoke to sky's mom recently um in reaction to the possible advancement of the sports bill yeah today i talked to sky's mom jen she's actually a social worker and she works with other trans youth so this if these bills criminalizing it would have criminalized providers of gender affirming care and she qualifies as that so she wouldn't have even been able to do her job um, in Wyoming so that's another reason they were considering moving um, you know coming out of this she was really really she was relieved that they were able to at least these bills about gender affirming care didn't go through I think she was pretty surprised we all kind of assumed that these bills were going to go through but I think just the level of pushback against them and then also some more like logistical things I think the lawmakers were concerned about like how insurance companies would respond to these kinds of bills and you know that's a big reason they didn't go through um but yeah she she was 
really, really relieved, but also pretty wary. Um, You know, this tone has been set in Wyoming, and she acknowledged that this is probably not the last we're going to see of these bills um, in the coming years. Conservative lawmakers will probably try to keep bringing them back. And, you know, she wondered if it might be safer for her kid to eventually move somewhere else. I mean, I'm pleased, but I guess it comes with a a burden of knowing that this is, you know, probably not going away. Would my family be safer if we lived in a state that was less Republican? Would that really, would that make a difference? Would, Would my kid be safer there? So it sounds like there's genuine concern that this is just... This is just the beginning of what could be numerous attempts to introduce such legislation. Yeah, yeah, I think you're I think you're exactly right with that. I think this is a brief, you know, moment of joy for the people who are opposing these bills here. But um, I think they're gearing up for the next battle as well. Hannah Mersbach has been speaking with us from KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. Hannah, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're listening to The Regional Roundup, a production of the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition. I'm Maeve Conran. On Friday, March 3rd, hundreds of high school students marched to the Colorado State Capitol in Denver to demand action on gun violence. Audio was taken from the social media feed of the advocacy group Moms Demand Action. One of the students who spoke at the Colorado State Capitol was 16-year-old Clara Taub, who's a sophomore at East High School in Denver. Right now it's a scary time to be in high school, to be anywhere, to be in America, because you can get shot anywhere. That's just the reality of it. Clara and other students from East High were calling on lawmakers to address gun violence, after a 16-year-old student, Luis Garcia, was shot inside his car near the school recently. Clara pointed to several pieces of legislation that she and the other students are supporting. There's an assault rifles ban going through the House. The waiting periods bill is also going through the legislature right now. Um, There's PLACA, which is the... Uh, You can't sue gun manufacturers, basically. Um, That needs to definitely change. Uh, Gun manufacturers need to be held accountable. Um, We need some sort of security at school. I'm not saying SROs, I'm not saying metal detectors, anything like that, but we do need some sort of security because we have nothing right now. Um, And we need some sort of education, some sort of, I don't know, something that students are aware of that can really protect them, specifically with, like, Um, safe storage, um, what to look for, and then just like programs that prevent youth violence, especially. Um, In the summer of violence that happened in Denver before I was even born, they did, um, they gave every kid free access to rec centers, and that helped a lot. So like something like that needs to happen again, and we really need to see a push for legislation, which is not happening right now. 16-year-old Clara Taub speaking there with Rocky Mountain Community Radio Capital reporter Lucas Brady-Woods about the Day of Action Against Gun Violence. It took place at the Denver State Capitol on March 3rd. Well, that Day of Action came just over a week after multiple schools across Colorado received phone calls that prompted school lockdowns and triggered massive law enforcement response across the region. 
Boulder High, our school is currently on lockdown. During lockdown. This morning around 8.33, we received information from the CU Police Department that they had a uh, call that came into their dispatch center of uh, a person that said they were at Boulder High School with uh, an AR-15. Pitkin County Undersheriff Alex Perchetta says officials had to treat the event as a legitimate threat at first. We do believe, based on the information that we received, that this event here in Pitkin County was likely a prank. Operationally, we treat Those were some of the news reports heard on KGNU and Aspen Public Radio on February 22nd. Boulder and Aspen were two of more than a dozen communities in Colorado that received the calls. Well, one week later, on March 1st, both school districts, along with many others, were targeted again and received similar threatening calls that law enforcement quickly determined to be hoaxes. But the impact of the calls and the reality of school shootings looms large over students. On March 1st, students from Boulder High were visiting the KGNU studios when the second threat was made. KGNU's Shelley Schlender spoke with the students to get their immediate reaction. Mac, are you feeling calm about going back to school on a day where a threat was called into the school and the police so far have said it's not a real threat? I mean, unfortunately, it's kind of the norm. You kind of have stuff like that happening all over the country, and it's something that you're exposed to pretty constantly. So having something happen like that, it's not out of the blue. It's not anything that's out of the realm of possibility. And when you get a call like that, you kind of just have to keep going and move on. Hannah, does this feel fair, that this is the status quo? No, 100% not. I don't, you know... There was a point where I went to school and no one ever thought that this would be, like, a threat. But now I find that for the past, like, I mean, I don't know, 10, 20 years, it's just, like, nonstop. There's a shooting every month and it's, you know, it's not really the safest feeling to go to school anymore. I don't think it's fair at all. I think that something is wrong in our kind of societal norms where this kind of stuff happens and everyone kind of just accepts it. And I think that these kind of calls and these kind of events are just going to keep happening until something's changed. Those were voices of Boulder High School students speaking with KGNU's Shelley Schlender on the morning of March 1st in the immediate aftermath of yet another threat being made against the school. Well, the spate of threats being made against schools across Colorado in recent weeks has created numerous challenges for school districts and law enforcement agencies and how to not just handle the threats, but also how to effectively communicate information to students and families. Hallie Zander, a reporter at Aspen Public Radio, attended a public meeting that was held after the February 22nd school lockdown. I would say first that everyone was so thankful to law enforcement and continued to show appreciation for their quick response, because while... There was a lot of sporadic information kind of coming through on different forums when it came to information during the incident. During the debrief, it was clear that law enforcement were fast and efficient and knew what they were doing. We just didn't know during that time what was going on. So the parents, so at first they were pretty thankful. And then after that, it was just a lot of concerns about that communication. Um, many were still traumatized. One parent was saying that, you know, a lot of kids have cell phones now. So without more information from the sheriff's department and the school district, the rumors really escalated quickly. And 
one mom said that her son's classroom door wouldn't lock during the lockdown. And so she didn't feel safe bringing her student back to school for the rest of the week. And that she wouldn't really feel safe doing so after that until it got fixed. But in general, I think everyone just wanted more clear information. And the school district did respond and say they were going to make some changes and they have some goals for how they're going to handle this into the future. Thank you so much, Hallie, for your reporting on this. And we know this is an issue that is going to continue to play out in communities all around the region. So Hallie Zander from Aspen Public Radio, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Maeve. You're listening to The Regional Roundup, a production of the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition. I'm Maeve Conran. With spring on the horizon, we bring you next the sounds of nature that herald a change in the seasons. From KGNU, here's Nature's Almanac. It's March. What's happening in the natural world? Here are Boulder naturalists Scott Sievers and Ruth Carol Cushman. We're walking on the Heatherwood Trail on a cold, gray, cloudy day. Right now there's a lot of melted and refrozen snow on the trail, so we're making a lot of crunchy noise as we walk. This trail comes right along Boulder Creek, which is a mecca for bird watching. We're watching a drake mallard right in the creek, having a little bath. Mallards, when the sun hits that emerald green, are just absolutely gorgeous. Keeping feathers clean is an essential part of flight. If your feathers are dirty, your feathers aren't going to retain and push the air around like you need to. A male red-winged blackbird, they're among the earliest birds to set up territories. I occasionally hear red wings throughout the winter, but we're beginning to hear more of them. Most of them will be on territories mid-March. Oh, look at this. Look at that falcon. It missed. It was at full speed chasing a small bird. We're hearing a song sparrow over here. Different trills and buzzes. Song sparrows will sing throughout the winter, but the increase in song is correlated to increasing day length. So as day length increases, the hormones and the birds increase and they start singing more. Look at the mallards here. The drake is doing a courtship dance for the female in the water. He's bobbing his head up and down like a funky chicken. Bob, 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 Bob. Oh, oh they're mating. Yeah. <laughs> Boulder naturalists Scott Sievers and Ruth Carol Cushman on Nature Almanac, a production of KGNU. You've been listening to the Regional Roundup, a production of Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah and New Mexico, including this one.
Thanks to Lara Jones at KRCL in Salt Lake City, Hannah Mersbach at KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming, Alexander at Aspen Public Radio, Lucas Brady-Woods at the State Capitol in Denver, and Shelley Schlender at KGNU in Boulder and Denver for today's show. Our theme music is Take Me Somewhere by Joel Adam Russell. I'm Maeve Conran. Thanks for listening. <laughs>